Pink eye can be a really challenging disease to battle. And while there are vaccines, other treatments available, looking at the peer-reviewed literature to decide what decision we want to make is really important. And we've got a great paper looking at this topic that we're going to talk about today on After the Abstract. I'm happy to have Dr. Brian Lubers with me on this episode of Bovine Science with BCI to talk about pink eye and an autogenous vaccine and its results. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Brad. So we've got a, you picked out a great paper for this week, and, and we're going to walk through and just to kind of do a refresh on our overall process for this, we're going to look at the abstract, review the results, tables, look at the materials and methods, and then evaluate what did they find in this paper overall once we go through the scientific process. So tell us what paper we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so the, the article we're talking about today, and again, I picked this one because it's, it's timely, right? It's, we're kind of around pink eye season or maybe kind of getting towards the end of it. But, um, and, and again, the goal isn't necessarily just the clinical application, but really we're going to focus on the methods, how they conducted the study, how they, what the manuscript tells us about that study. But this, this paper is, it was published in the Journal of Veterinary Internal Medicine, and it's titled A Randomized Clinical Trial Evaluating a Farm of Origin Autogenous Moraxella bovis vaccine to control infectious bovine keratoconjunctivitis pink eye in beef cattle. And the authors are uh, Dr. Annette O'Connor, uh, Brace, Gould, uh, Duell, and Engelkin. Excellent. And, and this article was published in 2011, just to give you frame of reference. So it's, it's from 2011, but it talks about a topic that's relevant, and it's a great example of a randomized controlled clinical trial that we'll discuss as we go through. So first, first off, we review the abstract. So to ask ourselves the question, is this clinically relevant, and is this a question I care about? What'd you find there, Brian? Yeah, so I think if you are considering the use of an autogenous pink eye vaccine, um, this is a great paper to help make some decisions with you. Now, um, and we'll, we'll get into the actual manuscript itself and the discussion because the authors, I think, do an excellent job of, of, of writing a discussion because they talk about, you know, these are the results we found, but then here are some other things to think about. And, you know, obviously this was this was a randomized controlled clinical trial. We like those. It was conducted on one operation. And so that's kind of one of the things. But but yeah, if I if I was considering the use of an autogenous pink eye vaccine, I would be I, I think I'd take the next step. I'd dig a little deeper into this paper. Okay. So our next step is we look at the results, tables, figures. And start asking questions like, okay, it may have been statistically relevant, but is it clinically relevant? And are there differences in the in the stats? So maybe direct us to what figures you'd like us to look at to kind of start that process. Sure. And so I guess I'd kind of start with tables one and two, right? And those are the first ones that are presented in the manuscript. Uh, but it's really kind of a description of their study population. And what you find in the first table. So this study was con conducted in 2009 and 2010, which is a little bit unusual. Usually clinical trials, we like those nice and tight. And if you read into the manuscript, they actually explain why that happened. And so um, they had done all the background to determine what their study size should be, um, how many animals enrolled per treatment group they needed. 
And what happened was they actually, this herd experienced a low pregnancy rate. And so the, it looks like the initial intent was to do this study in one year. They just didn't get enough calves born because of low pregnancy rate. And so they extended it for a second year. And then you can, so you kind of see, okay, um, here are the animals that uh, were eligible to enter the study at the time of first vaccination, second vaccination. And then you see how many animals dropped out because of they were either lost to non-pink eye death or the records weren't complete or thing. And so you can see the final number of animals included in the analysis. So I get a really good idea of how they conducted the study and who was in there. And then in table two, you see that there are two groups. And so um, what what you find, again, you have to kind of read into the manuscript a little bit, but this was a, a herd, but it was actually managed in two groups. And I, I think the assumption, I didn't see it specifically, is they're managed in different pastures. And so, again, that's not something we typically would do. We like to control as many variables as possible with a trial, but... Um, simply because of the way this herd was managed and there it is a clinical trial. So we're trying to work within those parameters and um, they have two groups. So one is a kind of a middle-aged cow group. And then, um, the other one is their, their heifers and old cows. And so those are the two groups. And again, they, they give you some timing of how that the study kind of flowed within those two groups, you know, when they received their first vaccination, their second, all the observations, and then the final observation, um, of calves in that group but they were randomly allocated within each group so we had vaccinates and controls so one of the things that we're looking for here is potential confounding so if i had given especially in cow calf studies often they're in multiple pastures and it's pretty easy for me to give all one pasture one treatment and a different pasture a different treatment in which case i've just created a pen level study not an individual animal because all their stats and, and evident even right now it's done on an individual animal level. Yep, absolutely. And, and cow-calf studies are a challenge that way because two pastures, if you assign a treatment to all the animals in one pasture, there could be effects that we don't even know about that are different. It could be soil types different, grasses different, uh, disease pressures different. All those things could pop up and really, like you say, they confound the interpretation of our results. But nope, this was managed very well. Um, it animals were assigned to treatment at the individual level and they were randomized within group and they were also randomized within year too. So, because that could also be another confounder for us. Yep, absolutely. So, so you have two different groups there. And then as we keep digging through the results, we've got a timeline table where the observations and the vaccines were given. And I may skip that for now to get to kind of some of our results of what we see once we once they yeah. go through the process. Yeah. So again, and again, we're trying to evaluate, is this paper something that is relevant to my practice or my operation if you're a producer? Um, and so table four kind of starts this out. So we should, we should go back to the abstract because one of the things these authors did really well in the abstract, they have a very clear objective statement. They actually have two objectives. One, the first objective, and I'll paraphrase a little bit, but it is to evaluate the effectiveness of an autogenous vaccine in preventing or controlling pink eye cases. So that is their primary objective. But then their secondary objective is to um, evaluate 
the effects of vaccine on weight gain. And so, which is good. That's important. That's a clinically important or a production level important parameter to know something about. And so, um, so tables four and table five um, give us some indication of the effects of vaccine on their, basically it gives us indication of their primary and their secondary objective. So if you look at table four, um, they looked at the number or the percentage of animals that developed pink eye. It's the pink eye incidence. Um, but, and the table has it all split out. They have in the vaccine group by year and the placebo group by year. Um, and then they have a combined over both years in the vaccine and placebo group. And I, we should go back to, and I know we're getting to the methods part of the paper, but um, these authors also they did an excellent job of masking or blinding in this study. So one of the things that can be a, confound, a confound, confounder, one of the things that can be a confounder in clinical trials is if the observers of the animals know what the treatments are, they may have an unconscious bias in grading a lesion or a disease, yes, no, differently. And so they actually, the author investigators, relabeled the bottles A and B, and A was the vaccine, and B was just uh, the adjuvant for the vaccine. And so all the animals got the same dose. The solutions look fairly similar. You probably can't tell visually which is which. And the people observing the animals, all they know was a or B. They don't know which is which. And so very good job there. And what we find in table, back to table four, where we've got the split out vaccine placebo. Numerically, they're a smaller percentage of animals develop pink eye in the vaccine group, but that difference was not statistically different between group, either in 2009, 2010, or in the combined data, um, there was no reduction in the risk of developing pink eye with having this particular autogenous vaccine. And they basically measured relative risk. So that confidence interval around the relative risk overlapped one, meaning you can't show that it's protective or harmful. You're right around that or no effect. You're right around that area with that confidence interval. And then they also looked at weight in vaccinates versus non-vaccinates. Yeah, and so um, what they observed, and so the weight was the last observed weight, and so that varies a little bit in the groups. Um, it's basically when they went off, if they were, um, I believe if they were bull calves or steers, they went on to a different production, or if they were going to heifers and they were retained and they moved. Basically, any time a calf moved from this to the next step and it's management cycle. I'll use that very loosely. That was when they did the way and that's when that observation was taken. And so, yeah, they did. And same thing, they looked at the last observed weight in vaccinated calves versus placebo treated calves in 2009, separately from 2010. And then they did a combined estimate. Um, and again, for these, for the, the last observed weight, there was no statistical difference between the vaccinated calves and the calves that received the placebo treatment. Yeah, not not even a numerical difference in this case. I mean, they're no. basically 197, 198 kilograms, so they're, they're very, very close. But then they, they followed up and looked at kind of a, a, a different analysis where they looked at only, regardless of vaccine status, they, they looked at whether those calves actually got pink eye or did not get pink eye and evaluated weight differences. 
Yeah, and, and it's important to note that was something they had planned prior to doing the study. It wasn't something they just added on to see if they could find a difference. They had planned to do it, and so even though it wasn't part of their primary or secondary objectives, they did look at So, yeah, like you said, irregardless of vaccine status, if a calf got pink eye, there was a decrease in their final study weight compared to those calves that never developed pink eye. So so I think what, what they're showing us through this is the disease has an impact on weight gain. The vaccine was not protective against developing the disease nor and and by then default it wasn't it had no effect on weight gain if it's not protecting from disease then we see what they see in this table six which is um they they look they're going to lose weight too yeah which makes sense that they would lose weight but putting all this together what they found was no differences in risk of pink eye or risk of decreased body weight in the vaccinates versus unvaccinated group, right? No differences there, but a risk, uh, a decrease in weight for those that had the disease. So there's enough there that makes me say, this is clinically meaningful to me. Yeah. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to go through the materials and methods a little bit and make sure that the study was run appropriately. You, you already touched on a couple really key points. One being that they they did some randomizations. They did some ways to control, and, and that was one of their mechanisms to control bias. The other mechanism that they used to control bias, observer bias, was through blinding. And so there's a couple things that when we read the materials and methods l- look like they're done very well. Any other comments on ways that they control bias? Not really with controlling bias. Um, the, I think those two really covered, and they, in the introduction to this paper, they spoke about you know, this is not the first study of this kind, but they talked about some of those other papers. And one of the one of the thing one of the reasons they're repeating this study is some of those previous studies did not control for those confounders. So it's this is another way to let's let's prove that what they found in this previous work actually holds up when we control for these confounders. Now some of the things when now we're kind of digging down into the methods and i think some of the things that are really important in this paper is the way that they went about selecting the isolates for the autogenous preparing the autogenous vaccine and using the autogenous vaccine very much mimic what somebody in a commercial production system would do so they this was a herd that they had access to and they were collecting swabs from eyes from cases within this herd. They identified six isolates that they thought met their criteria, and they randomly picked two of them. They included both of those in the autogenous vaccine, so it's not just a single isolate. And we'll again, we'll talk about the discussion because I think they do a very good job of explaining why about their study, some of the things that maybe are, could be considered weaknesses and why they why or why they aren't. But I think that very much mimics. So they picked the two isolates. They had the autogenous vaccine developed. And then they used a two vaccine. It's a kill vaccine. So they use a two vaccination program, which would very much mimic. So I think one of the kind of one of the things that people talk about when they say clinical trials is, well, it doesn't really mimic what we do in the field because it's so controlled. But I think in this case, 
they did a good job of finding that balance between we want a, a very solid clinical trial that controls confounding, but we also want to try to mimic real-world management practices. And I, I think they did a fantastic job of finding that balance in this study. Yeah, while doing the vaccine at the recommended mm-hmm. method. So you're doing, like you said, an initial dose and a booster. So one of my questions, and, and so most of the materials and methods great, and this is not just for this paper, but we mentioned early on experimental unit, which is really important when we evaluate our statistics and summary. The experimental unit in this paper was individual animal. Yes, that's correct. Why individual animal versus pen level? And so we talked about some of the potential because in the field, this would be applied at a herd level. And in this case, you had some vaccinates and non-vaccinates within the same herd or group. So give me some pros and cons to individual animal level. Does it matter in this paper versus pen level? Well, so I'll give you the the disadvantage that the authors already addressed in the discussion part. And I keep referring to this discussion, and it's not a long discussion. It's a little over a little over a page, um, but they did a great job of just kind of summarizing things. And one of the things, so again, we mentioned in cow calf herds, it's very difficult to do pen or pasture level studies without having unknown biases. That it's it's almost impossible. So they chose individual animal was going to be the study unit. And I, I think that's appropriate for this study. And one of the disadvantages that they mention is when you do whole herd vaccination, like you would do in a commercial setting, there may be some level of herd immunity that happens. And we, and in this study, they weren't able to mimic that, right? Because they only vaccinated roughly half of the calves, right? There were probably a few that were lost or weren't eligible for the study, but half of the half of the animals received a vaccine and half of them didn't. So the ones that didn't, we assume they have they have no artificial immunity, right? They may have some natural immunity because there's disease in the herd. And this herd had experienced pink eye outbreaks in the past. And so the authors didn't address that, but I would say there probably is some natural immunity, even in the ones that didn't get vaccinated. Obviously, it's not good because they're still experiencing pink eye outbreaks. But so, yes, that is probably the biggest weakness to this study is and and it's where it kind of diverges from mimicking real world commercial practices because they weren't able to vaccinate all the animals. So, yeah, there probably is some impact there. Um, The authors also say that because it's vaccination is a function of just the individual and they say no there could be some herd immunity there and it might be that one of the reasons that the vaccine failed to protect animals in this herd is because we didn't we didn't increase the immunity in a large enough percentage of the population to to basically stem outbreaks right and that's what we're trying to do or decrease the the overall disease pressure in the herd. So yeah, that, that probably is the one true weakness and it's a a function of the difficulty we have in conducting these kinds of studies in, in cow calf. Otherwise you can't, you, you, you could not do it in their scenario because they only had two herds and those herds were pretty different based on the cows that were in them for each year. So you couldn't, you couldn't, unless you physically moved them and split them up. But I I would argue in in general terms, 
you you have more power with going in especially in this case more statistical power with going with the individual animal however if i don't find a difference it could be because of herd immunity it could be because i changed disease challenge or i over challenged so we don't you're right and they did a great job of addressing it but it's a it's just a function of how the experiment is designed that it doesn't doesn't match what's what may be done in the future so this is a great first step great first study to go through you mentioned as as we went through so they've done blinding they've done randomization they handled some of those structures the one the one part in their statistical models that i'll mention it is it included year because we know this was done over different years it did not seem to include the herd now while they randomized within herd you mentioned there was uh, mature cows and then a different age group of cows in the other herd that could have been included in the statistical model may or may not have made a difference but that's the only only thing there and then as we get to kind of the discussion part and what you wanted to talk about they also did some conclusions of looking at their results compared to other studies sure and and essentially what they've done is they've taken the results of their clinical trial and then they've done essentially what's a meta-analysis. And we've talked about meta-analyses on this, on after the abstract before, and kind of the pros and cons of, of meta-analyses. But essentially what a meta-analysis is, is it takes different clinical studies that have been done and it puts them together. So we, we feel like we get a more powerful statistical analysis by doing that because we're comparing multiple studies that have looked at essentially the same thing. Now, it's not always exactly the same thing, but my guess is this, the other studies that they have looked at, they're all comparing pink eye vaccines. And I, I assume that they're autogenous pink eye vaccines. Um, I didn't go back and look at those individual studies, which I should have, right? That's something yeah. you should do as a reviewer. But they have, it looks like about nine other studies. And then this study um, and and really what their their overall conclusion is, they're using this meta-analysis to say, we conducted this study. Um, it's overall, it's an excellent study. In my opinion, there are some weaknesses, some things that just because of the way that production systems are set up, it's difficult to overcome that without another trade-off like confounding or something. Um, and they're essentially what they're saying is the other studies that we have looked at essentially say the same things that we have found in this study that which adds some credence to their which, results which adds credence to their results right so um they look again they look at risk ratio and if if it's one it's there is essentially no effect um and most of those other studies their the risk ratio sits right around that one or the confidence interval of that risk ratio crosses one which is which is a no effect type deal and so um i think you know, we've got this study in combination with some other studies to support their kind of overall conclusion, which is it doesn't look like autogenous pink eye vaccines have a huge impact on the disease process. Yeah, because if they'd have had a big impact, they'd have been able to find it. And it's a little bit harder to interpret when a study comes out and says, we found no difference versus if they come out and they say, we found a difference, you go, oh, great. It was helpful or harmful or right. whichever way the direction went with this you say we found no difference, then it could be, there's really two explanations. One, it could be that there was truly no difference, or two, 
they didn't have enough power. And one of the ways that they addressed to try to help tease that out was doing that meta-analysis you mentioned, which I think adds to the overall feel of, hey, there's several studies that are pointing the same direction. Not a big difference. Any last comments on this paper, Brian? Yeah, and I think too, and, and one of the other reasons for the meta-analyses, again, the other thing about this paper, and it's it's just a function of what we find with every autogenous vaccine and actually commercial vaccines too, is one of the possible explanations is we didn't have the right isolate that, you know, that we could have developed immunity to the wrong Moraxella strain. And so I think the other reason for the putting the meta analyses on here is, okay, if you do one clinical trial, that could be a possible explanation. And it could be if you repeat it several times, but if you are repeating it over and over and over, and like I said, we have nine studies now kind of all looked at the same things and you find the same results, the, the implication that I didn't choose the right isolate kind of, kind of is less, it's less of a, I'm less convinced that that's the actual answer in this case. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think they did a great job with this paper overall contributes to the body of literature, especially relative to pink eye vaccines. Brian, appreciate you going through this paper and help us interpret it and great example of a randomized controlled clinical trial and what we can learn. Thanks for joining us on Bovine Science with BCI after the abstract.